Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by Nick Augustine PR. Our 30-minute weekly guest call-in program features national news and events in legal communities, as well as expert and current trends in practice management. We cover important stories and decisions that affect various practice areas, so get in touch and let's tell your story. Partial support to Law Talk Radio comes from sponsor advertisers. We encourage our friends and colleagues co-sponsor the production of our Law Talk Radio shows. Send me an email for more information on sponsor plans and benefits at nick at nickaugustinepr.com. Don't forget the on-demand links to all of our episodes and our host station, which are available at nickaugustinepr.com forward slash Law Talk Radio. Darren, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, we got a little, okay, that, we had a little bit of feedback there, <laughs> sorry. I was wondering if you had a tornado going through the room. Anyways, <laughs> moving forward, today's show is Intellectual Property Updates with Darren Klemchuk. Klemchuk Kubasta LLP is a business, technology, and innovation-focused law firm in Dallas, Texas, providing patent, trademark, trade dress, copyright, and trade secret services, including litigation, licensing, prosecution, and other intellectual property counseling. Partner Darren Klemchuk returns as our guest to highlight important intellectual property updates and news and industries that affect impact and affect intellectual property practitioners and their clients. Darren Klemchuk is a co-founder and managing partner of Klemchuk Kubasta LLP, Dallas-based IP boutique firm that offers comprehensive intellectual property legal services, including litigation and enforcement of all forms of intellectual property, as well as registration and licensing of patents, trademarks, trade dress, and copyrights. Darren can be reached directly by email at Darren, D-A-R-I-N dot Klemchuk, K-L-E-M-C-H-U-K at K-K hyphen L-L-P dot com. And on today's show, we're going to cover uh, four interesting topics. First, recent implementation to the first to file provision of the America Invents Act. Then we'll talk about proposals to allow service of subpoenas through Facebook. And then after a short break, we'll talk about Google's recent digital estate planning services. And fourth, we'll final uh, finish our show with talk about copyright exhaustion and foreign sales. By way of short disclaimer, before we get moving here, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show cannot give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have questions, you should consult with an attorney in your area. All rights to this broadcast are reserved. So getting moving, I'd like to uh, welcome my guest, Darren Klemchuk, and welcome back to the program. Thank you. I'm uh, happy to be back and look forward to it. All right, Derek. Well, let's get right into this. Uh, again, as we were talking before we started today, intellectual property has always been one of uh, my favorite legal areas. It's very interesting, as I've always stayed up on technology and so forth. So let's talk right first about uh, these recent implementations of the first-to-file provision of the America Invents Act and uh, what takeaways people should know about that. Well, um, the uh, America's Invent Act uh, implemented a significant number of changes to patent law, and they went in. Some of those went into effect uh, in September 2012 and through March of 2013. And one of the largest changes to patent law was the change from first to invent to first to file, or sometimes referred to as first inventor to file, um, which is a very significant departure from how American patent law worked. In other foreign countries, the, the the law has been or the preference has been that whoever files first wins, and so it's a race to the patent office. And in the past, under American patent law, the 
whoever invented first generally had priority. Um, so it wasn't first to file, but first to invent, except that if if you were a first inventor but second filer, you had to show that you exercised a certain amount of diligence uh, in, during the period from invention through filing date. Now it's first to file. You know, the thing that pops into my head is the quote, well, what I, what I ask myself is if I have an invention, I might want to hurry up and file something before it's really ready. I don't know. I, I feel like as an inventor, I would want to sit and stew until everything was how I wanted it. But if it's first to file, it seems like the second you have an idea, uh, you should, what, go get a provisional patent? Is that is that the procedure, how it works? Or what are your thoughts on, on waiting or when to go? Well, well, generally, you know, every day that a, in a, a potential inventor waits is a, is a presents a risk that someone else is going to file first. So you've, you've nailed that one right on its head. Uh, the, but the second part is, you know, invention typically requires conception, which is the idea, and then reduction of practice, which is to translate that, that idea sufficiently so that somebody skilled in the art is the buzzword could pick up uh, in practice the invention based on what the you know the level of conception and reduction of practice so you it, it has to be more than a a mere idea in your head either has to be a little bit more than that and so that's the bind that current inventors are in is how much is enough and how soon should they file mhm and one of the things i also wonder about is i you know i'm, I'm assuming that these are still filed electronically through the pto yes yes you can file electronically um <clears throat> through the PTO and get a get your filing date that way. So what happens if you have a service interruption? Uh, in a worst case scenario, this along along the same line of thinking about having things in the cloud. And if you have a, a server that goes down, you have a backup. So what if I am you know my, my I'm at my law office and I'm filing my patent and uh, the internet goes out? I mean, it just sounds like uh, that this that first to file deadline seems just seems kind of scary to some folks. Um, uh, are there any problems or things that you've seen that uh, you can do workarounds for, or what's the word on the street as far as some of the potential uh, freakout moments, so to speak? Well, you know, I have not heard any stories yet of anybody attempting to file and then having a an internet or electronic problem and then losing their filing date to a second second inventor or second filer, mainly because. The the change has only been in effect for about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can, I just, yeah. I could just see so many problems of people trying to sabotage, uh, you know. And maybe it's maybe I'm getting cynical with this, but just on Facebook yesterday, I saw something about May 11th was the day that some extremist group was going to hack Barack Obama's Facebook page, for example. You know, so there are there are nefarious near do wells out there. I don't know. Well, I, I'd be willing, to, and I, I haven't researched this this issue because it's so new, but I'd be willing to bet that there's probably some kind of process or procedure that the the patent office allows for technical failures not caused by a filer. And and that you may be able to file a petition to get an earlier filing date as a result of that. And that, that may provide somebody with uh, a way to fix that, but, but no guarantees. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll stay on top of this uh, this new provision to the America Invents Act with the first-to-file provision. But let's move to something a little more exciting that uh, most people are probably looking to hear a little bit more about, which is this concept of getting served through Facebook. Yes, this is new. Uh, it's it's uh, 
I, I researched it this morning to look for an update on it, and as of March 2013, it was referred to the the uh, Texas House Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee. So it hasn't been passed yet, but it's moving along towards getting passed. And what this is is Texas proposed House Bill number 1989, sponsored by Representative Jeff Leach, and it, it in the nutshell provides an amendment to the uh, Texas Rules of Civil Procedure to allow a plaintiff or other party to serve somebody that's difficult to serve via Facebook or other social media. Mm-hmm. Let, let me, if you don't mind, let me let me read the the, the four provisions of the of the proposed legislation, and then we can talk about you know how difficult this is going to be to enact or not, or to manage. If substitute service of citation is authorized under the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure, the court may prescribe as a method of service under those rules an electronic communication sent to the defendant through a social media website if the court finds that. And there, there are four things that the court has to find, and I think this is where the challenge is going to be. Number one, the defendant maintains a social media page on that website. Number two, the profile on the social media page is the profile of the defendant. Number three, the defendant regularly accesses the social media page account. And number four, the defendant could reasonably be expected to receive actual notice if the electronic communication were sent to the defendant's account. Those present some interesting questions like the second one, which is which requires that the profile be the actual profile of the defendant. As is, is we all have heard, there are a lot of fake profiles in social media. And so... You know that second requirement is going to um, pr- present a proof requirement to to, to you know show that a, a profile is actually legitimately the defendant's profile or not a fake profile or a profile maintained by somebody else. Are we talking about all social media? Where does it does it identify any specific sites? No, it just says a social media page on wow. a website. Wow. So that could include several, several different, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and others. And what about email? There, this bill refers to social media. I've done some research. There are other states that allow service via email, and there have been, I think, believe Utah. Utah is one that allows um, substitute service via email, and then Minnesota in a, we found a Minnesota case in 2011 where a judge granted a woman permission to serve her husband with divorce papers via email or uh, social networking sites. Mm. You know, it, it, it just it makes dodging it makes dodging the process servers. I mean, what, that's a fun game for a lot of folks. You know, I I remember in family law, you know, go to find the guy, and uh, you know, I I always thought, well, use social media, see, so you, you know, the guy four squared uh, a check in, uh, you know, wherever, and then go find him there. I mean, that was always lots of fun. Well, that that may be a, a more difficult. So, okay. So, where are we in the legislative process with this? You said it's in the Texas Senate. It's uh, no, it's in the House. It's been referred to the Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee. That's the last action, and that was two months ago. So, I, hard to guess, you know, if it's going to get passed and and when. Mm-hmm. Have you heard word on the street in uh, bar associations and such? Are people talking about this? Uh, what are other comments to to the extent you've heard any? Well, I, I think people comment that it's you know it's interesting, 
it's, it's certainly keeping in times with the uh, advance of technology, but the requ the requirements that I read to you, um, you know, are a little bit difficult, may be difficult to establish. Like, you know, again, the third one says the defendant regularly accesses the so social media page. So, you know, that's another one where the, the plaintiff would have to prove, you know, establish that fact. And maybe that's pretty easy if they're making lots of posts, right? Or if they make some posts after you serve them via their, their Facebook page. But there are a number of proof factors that, that may not make this just a slam dunk easy method of service. Yeah, well, I guess that's where the courts come in, and because uh, I could just imagine a whole list of uh, laundry issues of things that could possibly go wrong with that. For example, what if you have um, another third-party program that aggregates all your social media sites? I use those for my clients, um, and there's not I there's a lot of things that are automated. There's not always a human regularly there to receive things, uh, and. And again, you know, I just wonder, are we now asking, are people who are maybe at risk of being served going to be changing their accounts or going under assumed names? And a lot of folks have um, their legal name on their Facebook is not the same as their legal name uh, walking around in daily life. So that's another problem I see. Yeah, potentially. Mm-hmm. All it's right. Well, that's unlike the person with serial email addresses that, you know, that seem to change their email address every three months. It, well, it, you know, and how about this? Um, here's another thing. You know, if we can't get someone served, we do publication and notice that way. Um, maybe that is a, a better route to do, uh, you know, and I don't know how they would do it. Um, you know, if everyone, well, here, here, for example, I've seen process servers in courts and police departments. Um, I think I'm Facebook friends with uh, the city of Arlington, and I got pulled over and owed that money for a ticket, you know. So <laughs> I wonder, should I be friends with these folks? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One in doubt. <laughs> so, uh, very interesting. We're going to pause for a, a short set of breaks here and uh, then come back to some more exciting topics. We'll talk about Google's recent digital estate planning services and copyright exhaustion. Uh, and But first, before my, um, uh, my sponsor message here, Darren, do you have any things going on at your firm that are interesting that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, we just uh, hosted our ninth annual Ethics for IP Lawyers uh, conference last uh, at the end of April. Um, it was the largest turnout ever. We we ho we host that every year, usually at the end of April, and it, the intent is to get half of your ethics credit required for Texas lawyers in one sitting. And uh, I'd love to extend that invitation to any of your viewers who are lawyers licensed in Texas that would like to uh, participate next year. Very good. Did you do that around Law Day? No, it's it just well, it just corresponds to when weather turns nice here, so that you can spend an afternoon on a patio for legitimate business reasons in April. I always like that. You know what? Next April, I'll probably come. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. A real quick uh, message from Nick Augustine PR. I want to let people know about our retooled programs here. We have new affordable outsourced marketing and publicity plans available through Nick Augustine PR, ranging from $300 to $1,400 a month. We execute key elements of your marketing and publicity plans, including your social media administration, blog and press release writing, internet radio podcast production, and monthly newsletters to tie it all up for your friends and contacts. We practice referral marketing, and we pay monthly referral fees to the affiliates who send clients our way. So don't forget to ask about how to join our Affiliate Power Partner Program. You can contact me, Nick Augustine, directly by email at nick, N-I-C-K, at nickaugustinepr.com. Again, that's nick at nickaugustinepr.com, spelled N-I-C-K-A-U-G-U-S-T-I-N-E-P-R.com. 
And just want to let you know that we're always here to help you keep your marketing machine moving so you can focus on your work. Now back to our program with our friend Darren Klemchak from Klemchak and Kubasta in Dallas, Texas. We talked a little bit in the first part of the show. If you're just tuning in, uh, we talked about recent implementation of that first-to-file provision of the American Invents Act. Uh, we also talked a little bit about service of subpoenas through social media, and we'll be following that uh, legislation and see where that goes. But now it's time to talk about our friend Google and Google's recent digital estate planning services. And, Darren, Google seems to have almost everything covered. I'm surprised I don't ah. pay my light bill to Google these days. You know, they've got everything. Google Scholar is great for research. Uh, you know, Google seems to be able to do anything, um, apparently. So let's talk about this digital estate planning services. Well, uh, last year the government recommended that uh, if you have a social media profile set up online, you should create a statement of how you would like your online identity to be handled after your death. And it looks like Google has come up with a way to implement that seamlessly and easily using technology. Hmm, very interesting. What else do you know about it? Well, uh, generally, it, they've implemented what's called an inactive account manager feature, which allows the person to manage how, how they want their online content to be saved or deleted. And so basically, this can this feature can now allow a person to give permission to their family or close friends to access that account um, that the person has saved on the various Google websites after they've died. And so it looks like it's based on what they call referring to as timeout periods that the user can set. So the timeout periods could be 3, 6, 12, 9, you know, up to 18 months. And then once there's no activity, Google will, will give a one-month warning, and then that will trigger the uh, transfer to the people that you want to get your content after you pass away. Mm. So you would connect your other social media accounts to Google? Well, it looks to me that it works only on data from Google Sites itself, such as Gmail, YouTube, Blogger, Google Drive, Google+, Picasa Web, web Albums, and others. So it does not include Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very uh, interesting uh, point of discussion, um, not to be too personal about it, but my father passed away last mo- last month, and one of the things that I planned to write about was what to do with the Facebook page and turning that into a memorial and whatnot, and uh, really kind of going through the different procedures uh, for people, um, you know, especially so, so to prevent Dad from getting served through Facebook. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, how to turn these things into a memorial page because there are a lot of folks who still like to, uh, you know, go and and leave their loved one a, a message, you know, on their birthday, just thinking of your dad, and like turn these things into a memorial page. Um, so that's that's it's something that not a lot of people know how to do. And I've seen uh, things before where uh, people I've known have passed away, and all of a sudden there'll be a Facebook update from them, and it, it's a little bit off-putting. Um, it would be nice if there was a way that it could identify the person as uh, you know the memorial page of so and so. You know, I don't, you know, it's a very interesting concept though. I I think. Uh... Well, actually, this is funny. My mother, I just uh, was trying to access my Facebook account because my my mother, like your father, had passed away last fall. And I I recall that my stepfather did something with her account, but my account's now blocked because of suspicious access, apparently. So I can't check it out and and see what they did. But I think they did a a similar memorial um, concept like you're talking about. But I've also read of of legal actions where a widow cannot get Facebook to, you know, couldn't get them to disable uh, her deceased husband's account. 
And I think, and that was years ago, and I think Facebook has addressed that now. Interesting. Well, you know, where where were you finding a lot of the uh, the information about that just by searching online? Are there any particular sites or uh, points of authority uh, that seem to have a lot of this contained? There's a um, we well the the Google the Google changes were pretty heavily publicized online. Um, we read some article. Well, actually, starting with Google, and then we read some articles on. Uh, Technology.inquire.net has uh, one of the articles that we read about that. The other thing is, and that, you know, we didn't add this to the topic list, but it's related. I, I just read a snippet last week that Twitter has now added a feature, I think, that allows a user to establish post-mortem tweets, I believe. What would they uh, do? How would that all work? Well, I, you know, I haven't tried it out yet, um, but what I, what I believe is that if, um, and I obviously need to research this a little further, but my understanding is that after you pass, you can set up tweets that are tweeted after you pass away. Kind of like writing letters to loved ones and giving them to somebody that, who then mails it to them, after, you, know, you know, upon your death or sometime after your death. I believe it's kind of a similar feature. Yeah, like uh, the letter that J.R. Ewing wrote to, you know, the family before, you know, like on the TV show. You know, exactly. Right. Very interesting concept. You know, as we're talking about um, the social media and, you know, obviously social media and, and someone passing away and death is is, um, is an interesting topic of itself, um, not as extreme as death, but censure and uh, discipline by social media in in courts and, and with lawyers and judges is another interesting topic that, Darren, maybe you and I can talk about in future uh, programs, as, of course, that uh, we're starting. And we're excited about starting uh, the, your very own program for your firm, the Klemchek Kubasta Update uh, show. Maybe one of the things we could talk about uh, down the road uh, in an upcoming episode is a little bit about lawyers and being on social media and judges and different ethics rules. Uh, we've had some things happen recently here in Illinois where the overseeing uh, the attorney, re, uh, attorney Registration and Disciplinary Commission of the Illinois Supreme Court has talked about uh, different cases of social media use and what not to say about judges, but that judges actually may be Facebook friends with attorneys, just not talk about things during their cases. Uh, so within, uh, within the bar associations and uh, things uh, in Texas, uh, have you heard much about the concept of social media use, abuse, and uh, what's going too far, what can people do and not do? I, you know, I have not heard um, – I, I can give you one example of how to get in trouble with social media as a lawyer, and then I can give you some another issue that I don't think has been resolved yet, and I'll start with the issue first. In uh, Texas, judges are elected, and so they run for office in essence, and they um, collect money and donations for their political campaigns. And so it's it is can be a little awkward when a judge attend, you know gives you a Facebook uh, invitation or a LinkedIn invitation because if you practice in front of that judge and and you don't accept it 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 just could be a little bit awkward and I don't know if Texas has adopted any specific ethical rules on whether judges can do that or not or whether you can socialize with a judge via social media I I, I don't think there are any specific rules but I, I would imagine that the normal rules apply which is you know, no, no ex parte communications and things like that um, another story I heard uh, last year was that during a trial or, or before a trial some 
jury consultants were attempting to do research on potential juror, juror pool, and in looking up the various potential jurors, uh, Facebook and other social media sites accidentally friended a few of the jurors, which caused quite an uproar with the court, as you can imagine. Are you there? Hey Derek, are you there? Hello. Hello, Darren, are you there? I'm here. Sorry, I think I lost you. Yeah, I think I got. I think I got. Uh, Hold on a second. All right, sorry about that. I love technology when it works. First, it when it fails. Uh, as you were saying. <laughs> What did what, what did you hear last? I, I I talked for quite a while and didn't hear anything. All right. Well, as long as you entertained our uh, audience, that's what matters most, right? <laughs> no, I was uh, I was mentioning jury consultants accidentally facebooking potential jurors for a jury uh, panel they were investigating. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that uh, you know. There's been a lot I've heard about juries tweeting and jury instructions for not tweeting during trials and so forth. Um, another thing that I've heard recently about when talking about social media law and such, um, are attorneys telling divorce clients to uh, delete their Facebook pages, and now you've got a spoliation of evidence problem. There are all well, sorts of problems out there. That's that's destruction of evidence. Yeah, that's that would be bad news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, this, yeah, so, I, you know, how, go ahead. Uh, social media presents a, a number of legal problems because it, if you think about it, you know all the problems that have existed before play themselves out in social media. But but unlike things before, social media allows somebody to get an audience of thousands, if not millions, of people, and so the damage that can be done by misbehavior in social media is, can be far more dramatic than you know even on a website or you know in person. It's, yeah, there's so much. It's, and as this stuff is all continuing to develop, again, as we were talking about ethics uh, updates and such and, and cases, a lot of us are waiting for cases to come out of the courts as these things, uh, you know, coming up, you know, through the courts and now our associations and uh, Supreme Courts and everyone else can make their different rules and, uh, you know, to guide us on navigating uh, in, this, in these areas. But, again, it's really interesting because, uh, yeah, I saw a guy on a news program who had gone for a year through, with no Internet and no social media, and the guy said the problem is that's really where everybody is today. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's appropriate to have the laws catch up, and sometimes it just takes a while. It sure does. 
Mm-hmm. So we should focus on some of these things uh, in the future, in future program. Um, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to share today with our listening audience about uh, your role as an IP attorney and uh, who should come to you uh, as a client who has similar questions to things that we talked about today? Well, we ge- we generally, or I would say, kind of my ideal client is a um, is a, a company or business, either tech technology services or product business that in revenue range of two to two hundred million dollars that typically are trying to either exploit technology or resist overreaching by competitors. And so we'll assist them with the dispute resolution as well as uh, securing their intellectual property rights, whether it be patents, trademarks, copyrights, or or domain names. All sorts of important things that people should think about. And again, call an IP attorney first before you – I always see with marketing companies will go forth with these wonderful uh, domain names and taglines and everything else and then you can uh, get in trouble later. So always good to call an IP attorney uh, just to get a, a you know a once-over on what you're doing. Uh, people are there to help. Darren, tell people how they can get a hold of you. Uh, the easiest, easiest way to reach me is to go to our website, www.kk-llp.com, or to email me at darren.klemchuk at kk-llp.com. Or you can reach right, me on the Darren. telephone at 214-367-6000. Wonderful. I want to thank you for your time. We're almost out of time here. I've got to say goodbye to our guests, but I want to thank you again for your time today and being on our program. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. All right. All right. I want to remind the folks at home to visit the newsletter page at nickaugustinepr.com where you can sign up to receive free copies of our email updates and article links with short descriptions and links to our Law Talk Radio episodes on demand. We want to remind listeners to share our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank you all for your support in sharing our programming. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into this episode and want to remind you that our Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain you and bring our legal industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips and tools and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time. <laughs>